It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into another edition of the Skinny Podcast, the potpourri edition with my man Rick Brewing. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor. As always, it's presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. We take a look at a lot of local topics, a handful of national topics, and occasionally a ghost sex story or two. We'll see where we go with that because Rick Brewing leads the charge. Rick? Skinny, on Tuesday, Ian Rappaport and other NFL writers reported that the Bengals were shopping former first-round pick John Ross. But on Wednesday, Bengals director of player personnel Duke Tobin called the reports fake news and said they were from the, quote, ready, fire, aim school of journalism. Do you believe the Bengals when they say they're not shopping John Ross? And do you think the Bengals should be looking to trade John Ross? Uh, Let's go with the latter part first. Um, I don't think they should be looking to trade John Ross because... Um, it's going to be too expensive to do so. Uh, they'll, they'll save a little bit of money if they wait till after June 1st, but really not enough. And I, I don't think you want to give up on a first-round draft pick in year three when you have a new coaching staff who's supposed to be, a new head coach who's supposed to be offensive-minded, and part of the, the complaint of the last staff was they weren't creative enough with John Ross. Wouldn't you like to see if this guy can become creative? Wouldn't, you like to, wouldn't the guy like to see if he can become creative with John Ross before they, they say thanks but no thanks? Look, I, I will say this. The, the news came from somewhere. Um, I yeah. do believe the Bengals yesterday because uh, it was the first question asked to Duke Tobin. I was there, and he could have you know, hemmed and hawed and stammered and stuttered his way around the question and the answer to it. And the fact that he was so, um, so open. I mean, he called it fake news. And when you hear that, sometimes you roll your eyes. But... You know, they, they said, hey, we're, we're still behind the guy. You know, we, we still believe in the guy. He, I asked him, you know, do you think he can live up to his potential? And he said, I still believe in the guy. We still believe in him. Uh, you know, it, it could change in training camp. Maybe, maybe this was just an initial float to see who would call and what they might call and what they might offer. Um, but the fact he also said, hey, we haven't had discussions internally or externally, uh, I, I don't know where it came from. I, I really and truly don't. And I do believe them when they say that they, they're not shopping because they were very – very definitive in what they said, both him and Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor said he's looking forward to working with John Ross. Yeah, I thought, I mean, what else is Zach Taylor going to say, right? Like, I mean, you have to say that because right now you don't have a deal in place and John Ross is on your roster. So, of course, to me, what Zach Taylor said wasn't like definitive, no, we're not looking right. to trade him. It was more, oh, I'm excited about him. I, th- I see him as a weapon. I'm going to use him whatever way I can, unless we can trade him. Um but Duke Tobin went all in on, we haven't even had discussions about it, right. making it very clear, which was a little more interesting. I think he wanted out there emphatically that they're not trying to trade John Ross. The thing is, I just don't think you're going to get value for John Ross at no. this point. He hasn't proven no, anything. No, it's going to cost you in salary cap money that you're going to have to, you're going to have to take a salary cap hit to do yeah, it. I mean, I just don't see you doing that. I don't think anyone's even going to offer you a first round pick no. for John Ross. No, you, so, you'd be lucky if you got a fourth. Right. So at what what good would it be to trade him other than, unless they really thought he was a problem guy in the locker room? And from what they said, I, I, I it seemed like the exact opposite. Yeah, I don't they, see that. They went out of their way to say he's a guy who really values football and, and it's important to him and he wants to get better. Now, they may not believe he's capable of getting right. better, but they went out of their way to say he's he's a guy who wants to improve. So I think that said something about um, just the fact that they don't see him as a bad guy or a guy that they feel they need to get rid of, which I don't think is the case with everyone on this roster Yeah, right and, now. and I will say Zach Taylor's talked about, you know, moving on from guys if they're not productive and doesn't feel they're productive. You know, the last regime, they drafted Cedric Obwehi, and you could tell about five games into his second year when he got a chance to start that this was an utter disaster, and they kept him through all four years. Last, last This past year was the last year of his four-year rookie contract. They kept him for those four years. I don't think you're giving up on John Ross, and part of it, I think, is 
you do want to see what can Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan do with the guy. And maybe the guy is a bust. Maybe he, he is exactly what we've seen over, over the, the, the last two years, an injury-prone um, receiver who just can't get separation despite his speed and all those things and isn't capable of doing it, isn't capable of winning 50-50 balls. I think if I'm Zach Taylor, I, I think I want to find out before I move on from him. I want to find out when I can see him in May doing some things, when he's trying to put some things that I'm putting into, into, into practice there. So, it, it didn't, look, I, the news was not made up. I will tell you, for those that are I, the news was not made up. Uh, I just wonder where it came from because there's a lot of different sources that it can come from for various and sundry reasons. It could have been Zach Taylor floating that out there without Duke Tobin knowing about it, for all I know. I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I mean, it would seem, based on the way the Bengals responded to it, that this obviously came from another organization, um, and that's prob- that's the way it usually happens yeah. anyways. It's not usually the team looking to Correct. trade a guy that's telling that. It's, it's other teams. So um, maybe it's a team that's interested in John Ross, which would seem kind of weird because he hasn't proven much, but maybe someone's like, we need speed, and he's the guy who could put us over the top. There's a few teams out there that you could say, hey, they need an extra receiver, right. and they've got some sure. possession guys. So sure. it's not entirely out of question. Look. The Bengals should be listening to any offers, but this isn't the NBA and it's not baseball. So it's not like John Ross was going to be included in a package deal on top of Andy Dalton. He was what put it over the top. It was correct. If there was a deal or someone was looking for a deal, it was for John Ross. At this point, there's just not going to be enough value to be worth trading. And maybe it's John Ross's camp saying we want a fresh start. I mean, maybe they're the ones that pull it out. Actually, that may be the fresh start somewhere. That could totally be more than possible because the Ian Rappaport tweet did say, Sounds like it might be best for both sides for a fresh start. He made it clear to say that. So you might be right about that. Maybe that is coming from John Ross and his people. Skinny, you were up at the Combine, so we'll stick with the Bengals here for another question. Joe Mixon says his offseason work is preparing him to hold up to 25 rushing attempts per game, which would be 400 for the season. No running back has had more than 400 since Larry Johnson set the NFL record with 416 carries for the Chiefs in 2006. Only four running backs ever reached the 400 carries mark. Joe Mixon had 237 carries and 280 total touches last season. Do you think Joe Mixon should see 400 rushes this year, or at least that should be a goal of the Bengals to get him close to that? Not not rushes. I would say 350 touches. I'd be good with that. You give me 300 carries and 50 receptions, 350 touches, 400 carries in the league, you're, you're going to be beat up. Now, th- that said, you are now in a league that, that – doesn't value the running back position as much as it used to, and understandably so. That's ready to rarely do you get a, a a great second contract for a running back in your own organization. You're ready to move on after the four four year window is up, unless you can get a sweetheart deal that that keeps him around uh, for another couple of years. Um, I, I I I can see them thinking of the, along those lines, but that you can't do that in this league. You're just going to get beat up if you got 400 carries in a season. You would get pummeled. 20, 18 to 20 carries and three to five receptions. And like I said, you give me 22 Joe Mixon touches a game, I'm good with that. And I've got other, I've got Gio Bernard I want to get touches to. I got A.J. Green I want to throw the ball to. I got Tyler Boyd I want to throw the ball to. You do have weapons. Last year, the weapons became literally towards the end of the year, especially when Tyler Boyd got hurt, became. Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon. That was yeah. it. And and I, I like the fact that he wants the ball. I think that's great. That's great, but that that's too much for me. You are going to get beat up, but I don't think teams care about that nearly as much because you're right. The the running back has become such a just they're good for a couple year commodity but, but and then a- we move on to the next one before we pay on big money type position. So I think it's more about the fact that it's become such a passing league. It's just advantageous to pass more. Yeah, You're not going to give up that many passing opportunities by handing it off well, and that also many though, times a game. The other thing I want to say is that the 25 a game, and while it's not a static number, right, it could be 18 one game, 28 another game, whatever, but if right. we're going to go with that average – 
the cumulative effect in a season, you're just you're not going to be. I don't think you can sustain that. I just don't think by week eleven, week twelve, if that's what you're averaging, I just don't think your body's going to be able to sustain well, I mean, that. Guys, there was a stretch in the NFL history where guys were doing something closer to this. I mean, like that right around that time period when Larry Johnson went. Uh, set the record with 416 carries back in 2006. There were like Larry you know, Johnson was out of the league pretty soon after. Well, well that's what I was going to say. You can do it for a year or two, but right. but I think that's the, that's what happens, and that's where a lot of the stigma from running backs just don't last came from because they were getting round in the ground. Now guys are only used; they're, they're platooned with two or three. Right, that, guys. that's part of it too. Is 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 it used to be you had that single featured back, right? And yeah, and a full back ahead of them, right? Who carried it three times himself in a game. Now you do have you have a Gio Bernard that you also want to get involved a little bit. You want to get him five to seven carries and another couple, three receptions. You get him 10 touches a game, and suddenly you start getting the number of touches up. Okay, let's just say Joe Mixon wants the 25 and gets the 25 carries, and you get him another three to five in the passing game, and you get Gio Bernard seven seven carries. You, you look up, you don't have enough plays in a football game for the ball to go around. Yeah, and, and I don't... Again, I like his attitude wanting the ball. I oh, of do course. like that. And, and he said, he made sure to say, it's not going to be a one-man show. We've got tons of weapons. I just want to make sure I'm in good enough shape to handle right. that type of load because I do think they're going to use me more because they use Todd Gurley more Correct. in... in uh, with the Rams, so I was about to say St. Louis well, there for and, a second. And, and I had, you, had to catch myself. It's exactly. still St. Louis to me. It's still say I still do the, the San Diego Chargers too. Um, and you wonder if Todd Gurley didn't wear down, right? Yeah, didn't get used yeah. as much in the playoffs. There was the injury issue. Then in the Super Bowl, that didn't sound like an injury issue, but that also could be a bunch of baloney. How much did he get worn down as the season went along? Here's what I'd like to see the Bengals do with Joe Mixon. I'm not as worried about the specific number of touches or carries that he gets. I want consistency and creativity. Mm -hmm. I want to see them use him as much and in as many different ways as possible while also using him throughout the game. I don't want to see him get 12 carries in the first half and then no touches in the second right. half. And I know sometimes the game and the score dictate you're, you're only going to be passing the ball now or whatever, but... Uh, there were times last year which it just didn't seem to make sense. Like they'd be really heavy on him at certain points, and he came out for a couple series, and then go away from him entirely, right. and that just didn't make sense. Especially when you didn't have Giovanni Bernard for a lot of the year, right. and it was still that way. So I'd like to see them use him in as many different ways as possible, give teams as many different looks of Joe Mixon as possible, so they can't. I'd like to see him more. Well. I'd like to see him a lot more in the receiving game. I agree because I think, really I think he, he surprised at how well he did that, and right. they knew that was a skill set he had coming out a little bit. But I think he's even. I think he. He could be a star as a receiver. He's I do not, too. He's not the same as Giovanni Bernard and how he runs, but he really catches the ball pretty well. He's a great, he really is. A, he can catch the football. He's a very good receiver. All right, Skinny, moving to college basketball. UC head coach Mick Cronin, as well as former Xavier and Ohio State headman Thad Motto, were two of the names listed by the Los Angeles Times this week as potential candidates for the UCLA job. Those two were listed among seven other main candidates, which included Tony Bennett, Jamie Dixon, Kevin Keats, and Fred Hoiberg. There were also eight Plan B, or what they called Beyond candidates. Uh, should Mick Cronin seriously consider the UCLA job if the UCLA administration comes calling? I think he should consider it. Um, I mean, it's one of the blue blood but, but, jobs, but right? Seriously, should he? I, I'm not saying should he give them a, a courtesy call and answer and say thanks, but no thanks, or talk it over with his agent. But should he go out there and kind of have the Nevada right. situation where he's right. going to seriously consider this? There's twofold to your question. Should he? Yeah, I think he should. It's a blue blood program that's going to offer him all kinds of money, right? So should he? Yes. Will he? That's the other part. There's, that's why I say there's two parts to this. I think he should. I think he'd be foolish not to, right? 
But I, I just, I think this, he's a Cincinnati guy, man. I think it'd be, I think it would take a lot to tear Mick Cronin away from here. I really do. I know Vegas was close, but I also there's still a part of me that thinks that he took that to about the the tiptoe of the line and said, "Listen, just give me a few concessions, just give me a little bit, and and I'll I'll cave." And they did, and he caved, and so he's here. I just think this is this is his job, man. I I, I really believe that. I could be completely wrong, but I just think this is what he wants to do. He wants to be the head coach of the University of Cincinnati. Let's say they offer him four plus. I million and the I, years I, I and, and everything else he wants he gets now by the way UCLA they're kind of in the stone ages a little bit Correct. in terms of being a premier program like they fly commercial to game right, still they right. don't they don't charter everywhere um they don't have the private plane like so he, he would have some of those same issues but let's say they give him all those, they say we promise we're going to step everything up we're going to give you all the things you need to recruit and Talking succeed at the highest level yeah. at UCLA yeah. yes do you think he should take that job or do you just think it doesn't work out for him at UCLA if you're going to give me all of those things and I can't get those things at Cincinnati, it would be hard for me to say no to that. I'm talking about me. I'm putting myself in his shoes. I'm with you. But I just think that – I think he just – he loves being the head coach of the University of Cincinnati. I think he makes plenty of money. I think he – the only thing I think he would really want is some of those concessions we talked about. I think I think he would like a private plane because it just – it is a it is a hassle recruiting-wise. When, when – when, Others are doing it, and you're not. It is a hassle. I get that, and I, I, I fully get it. But if you can't afford that as a university in your budget, you can't afford that. I, I just I think he likes being the head coach of the University of Cincinnati too much. Maybe well, I'm wrong. And, I mean, his daughter, I think, is in middle school. So, it's, I mean, it means a lot I, to I him. don't think he's moving because I don't think she'd be coming with him to the West Coast. I'm not sure exactly how right. their agreement works, but I remember people talking about that the last time this came up when he was talking about the UNLV job. She's very important to him, obviously. Hugely important. He's made a lot of decisions off her clearly. Um, so I think that's a big factor, but I, I also, what do you think? I also think like, you're right. If it was, if it was me, I'd be out to UCLA. No question. I, I to, like, there's just so many benefits to living out there, having that lifestyle, being able to all the high schools that are out in that area that yeah, aren't they're, they're, heavily say, recruited. I, I don't even know if I need a plane to recruit at UCLA. You just give me a nice SUV to drive up and down the coastline and drive through California, it's, maybe occasionally go to Vegas for some kind of AAU tournament. I think I can pretty much do what I need to do. It's a pretty good life. I know life. that sounds simplistic, right? But it's there's a lot of dudes there, man. There's a lot of dudes. But here's the problem. At Cincinnati, Mick Mick is appreciated, I think. Um, he may not always feel as appreciated, or f- the fans may not always appreciate him as much as he should be appreciated or as much as he feels he should be appreciated. But if he were doing the same thing that he's done at Cincinnati at UCLA, he'd be fired. They don't want what he's doing. I don't know. If you had the success level, though. They don't right? want what he's doing. They think they're a blue blood. They think oh, they are making they runs to the final four. Oh, I know they do. They're not going hey, to settle for second round exits. Let, let's not forget, Ben Howland went to three straight final fours, and after a couple of mediocre years, they went, bye-bye. This is what I'm saying. And, I, and and granted, Mick has been a lot more consistent than Ben Howland was at UCLA. I, I'm not saying that. Can you get a couple more dudes, though, that, that give you a more fighting chance to do that? Does Mick want to do that, though? That's a legitimate Because he has shied away on the recruiting front from wanting to go all in on recruiting elite guys and play that game. And I'm not saying he's wrong for that. I think he's found his niche. But I don't. Know. I think that's hard to do at Cincinnati. Though. It is. It is hard to do. But I also think there's an aspect of him that maybe says I don't like the way this operates. Like I don't like the idea of one of these big time schools with deep pockets can come in and just pay a guy that I, that, that I'm going to be out of the running for all of a sudden. I think he dealt with that some in the Big East when he was recruiting at a little higher level, and now in the American, he knows he doesn't even have to do it right. because he can win with guys that are outside the top 100 consistently, and so it, it's working out even better for him uh, there. But 
I just I don't know that his his persona isn't going to mesh real well with those people unless he's winning at a high level. They're going to be turned off by his antics on the sideline and kind of that approach to the game unless he's really, really winning. Um, they expect more than what he's done in the tournament. It's just not going... Second round exits are not going to get it done at UCLA, even if you're pulling in 20 but, wins a season. But I still go back to, I think you would be able to get more dudes to push you over that hump. I mean, maybe. Yeah, I, 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 I do. I, I'll, I'll, that's where I'll beg to do. I, I think you can get more dudes. I, I, I think you can get more dudes too, but again, I don't know how much he wants to recruit at that level. And so if you're not... Other, I, so those other teams, to, the other teams in your conference have more dudes too. Should he seriously consider it in your opinion? I think for Mick, he's best off at Cincinnati because Cincinnati can't get anyone better than Mick Cronin. He can't be replaced at Cincinnati right now. He can have that job basically as long as he wants, as long as he doesn't do something egregious off the court because who are you going... It's not like they they have deep pockets to where they can pay someone that's more experienced or better, and he's obviously a good coach. So even if he never makes a run to the Final Four or the Elite Eight, I mean... If, and I think eventually he will. You'll get that magical class like you had might. last year that, that does... That does get you there. I but, really believe but that. But even if Sweet 16 is all he ever does at Cincinnati, I don't know that they're ever going to look to get rid of him because how can they do Correct. better? Correct. That's fair. So, And at UCLA, they are very, very hungry for someone to be successful in a big way. And I don't think yeah, they can have a guy that's just going to come in there and be solid. The, the only thing I would tell you is, because he's still young enough, do you take that one big bite at the apple, and let's just say it doesn't work, you can always go backwards. You and may you not know what? Able, you can probably come back to Cincinnati you if you're may, And you may be able to correct that. That's the only other thing I would say, is do you take the one big bite at it, knowing that at the very least I'm getting a five-year deal worth X number of million dollars, and if they can me, I still have that in my pocket, and I can always come. I'm still young enough to come back down a rung and down a rung still isn't awful down a rung is is a cincinnati level i can still win i can still do some some good things i i just go back to i just i think he really deep down loves being the head coach of the university of cincinnati i do too and and i i don't think he's going to be ucla's first option either but it, it sounds like at least the people out there also think he's in the mix yeah out of that candidate mix who, who, who do you who do you like the best well, I mean, everyone wants Bennett, right? Everyone thinks he's the guy, How but about style of play, bro. I do not think that meshes well I think out there. Jamie Dixon would be great. I think Jamie Dixon is great. the name that entices me too, because I think he was uh, underappreciated at Pitt. At Pitt, and then look what he's done at TCU. I think you give him. He's a guy who can recruit TCU a little bit. Is the dregs, man. I know it's the dregs. And how do you recruit to TCU? Yes. How do you recruit to TCU? And he's doing a pretty good job of it. You put him at, out at UCLA, I think he will get you some dudes. It. Yeah, I do too. Um, I, I would probably, that would be where I'd be leaning. I, Thad Mott is an interesting choice because I think he's got a lot to prove. I, I, I do too. I don't think he was done when he left Ohio State. I think he got I, forced out because there was so much negative recruiting. Yes. He felt like he didn't have a choice no, anymore. No doubt. But the the health issue still does that crop up, especially if the pressure sets in very quickly. But again, I think some of the I think some of the health issue for Thad was was also stress related too. Well, yes, but I, I think he felt like he was in a, a no-win situation because the health thing was being used against him. Yes. And what are you going to say? Like, clearly you have a physical impairment well, that you can't point. hide. So all of a sudden you better? But, well, well he, 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 he does is. say he feels a lot better. Right, because he hasn't coached in a year, man. Right, but I don't think— All even, the stress is gone. But even at the end of his, his rope at Ohio State, 
I don't think he was done. Like, I don't think he just became a bad coach and oh, didn't no, have no, enough no. energy to no, do no, it. No, don't give me. I think he's a great coach. Right. Oh, no, no, don't, don't misconstrue that. But I think I'm just it, talking about that whole health thing. I still think you but, go out there where they're going to put the demands that you got to win and win now. But put it this way: Ooh. I think if he has the health-related issues, but no one can see it and they don't know that he actually has it, like it's not a public knowledge thing where everyone's using it against him constantly. Whether it's well, if he, if newspaper he, if, reporters in your own town or other coaches recruiting against you, if that's not happening, I think he's able to weather that storm at Ohio State. I, yeah, I I just think Thad Mata is is if he wants to get back into coaching, you go you go backwards again just to just to just for the love of it. I to would prove think yourself. I would think so too. But if they if they see him as as a top candidate, I'd be all over the job if I were him. I just think he has a lot to prove. He's going to come in with a chip on his shoulder, and he could get you rolling back in the right direction. In a hurry, he has credibility already. Give me Jamie Dix. I'll take him first. He's my first choice. I think I think that would be my first choice too. Yeah. Right. But we agree. But, but by the way, if yes. you're going for a young guy, it's Nate Oates from Buffalo. I'm big on He's Nate. Oates. The, he has done nothing but great things, and I understand why they're going to say we want someone with right. more experience because right. we're UCLA, and that's fair. But Nate Oates, I think, is going to be really good wherever he ends up in the next few years. Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree with that at all. All right, Skinny, let's stick with the Bearcats in college basketball. They have pulled out hard-fought wins recently against UCF 60-55, to which was actually UCF's a pretty good team. Yeah. That's a that's fairly yep. fairly yep. solid win. UConn 64-60 and SMU 52-49. Of course, SMU has been playing so poorly, they got embarrassed by UCF recently. Um, that game was a, a little more questionable. But in those three games, Jaron Cumberland has scored 11 eight and 12 points respectively yet you see has still found a way to pull out the win despite not playing all that well as a team do you see it as a good thing that the Bearcats have been able to pull out these wins without playing their best and without Jaron Cumberland leading the way or does that concern you a little bit no I, I absolutely think it's a good thing because I think in any league you go on a road and win I don't care how bad the team in your league is it's still hard to win it is. I mean it really truly is they shot 26 percent against SMU 26% on the road in a league. I don't I, yeah, SMU has been playing poorly, but you knew they're not as bad as how they played against UCF. I mean that was just that's an aberration on both sides of the scoreboard, right? UCF sometimes can't get 94 in two games, let alone get it in a game. Uh, and they're good. Uh, but I, I go back anytime you do something on the road, you shoot 26%, you should get beat by 15 points. You shouldn't even be in the game. The Cumberland stuff is interesting. Teams but teams in your league know you. They, you. There's not a lot of surprises, and they can find a way to take away that guy. I don't know if you can do that sometimes in the tournament with short preparation time. And uh, Yeah, you know who the star is. You know some of their actions, but you don't know all of it. Um, and sometimes maybe you don't even believe it. You don't, you know, hey, he's pretty good, but eh, you know what? Let's just do what we do. Well, what you do may not be enough to stop Jaron Cumberland. In this league, the SMUs and the UCFs and the UConns know we got to take this guy out. I don't care what we have to do. I don't care if somebody else beats us. We'll let somebody else try to do it. And right now on the road in the league, guys aren't making shots. And, and that, that's a big factor. And as long as that continues, Jaron Cumberland is going to face these kind of defensive performances from teams and defensive efforts from teams. They're going to focus everything on him. Um, it, it'll look different if you get a couple other guys making shots. And I don't know if that's a given or that's ever going to come around. I just go to the to the yoke of, look, dude, go win on the road, and I'm going to tip my cap and just say that's that's fine. You got you got the road win. Yeah, you, you sure as hell do not want to be losing these games yes. when Jaron Cumberland's up. Like, it, it's impressive that they have been able to win these games. It takes nothing away from what they have done. It, if I'm a UC fan, though, realistically, it would concern me a little bit because what you just mentioned with Jaron Cumberland teams are the teams in your conference. know we got to throw everything out to stop him. And if I'm a team that's in the tournament, like granted some of those teams on the bubble are iffy for sure right. this year. But if I'm a team in the tournament, I'm a lot better than SMU is this year. And I see them play UC to a three point game by taking out Jaron Cumberland. 
I'm go- I'm doing whatever yeah, they tried to are. do, and I've got more guns. Like as a UC fan, I'd be concerned because Nizier Brooks and Justin Jennifer aren't you, winning for me in the, the tournament. Is, you just don't have another consistent offensive guy. You no, just don't. And, Keith and, Williams and, is an energy guy, but he's not an offensive guy. And if it right? was, and, if, and that was, if it was Keith scoring fifteen or twenty when Jaron didn't, you'd right. say, "Oh man, now we got two. Right. But the problem is, like Nizier Brooks and Justin Jennifer aren't going to win for you in the tournament. We've seen that already. So, it, so then it falls back to Kane Broom, right? Then it falls back to him. Yeah, and they just, I mean, they've never given Correct. him the opportunity Correct. to trust him. And, Correct. like, I get it. He's been up and down at times. I'd also argue that whenever they seem to be in a tough spot, they fall back on relying on him to get something jump-started, which seems kind of weird that he doesn't get because, that opportunity because, all the time. Because he does have offensive skill. That's the yeah. thing. And, 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 and that's where you go back to, all right, you know what? I, I got to go this this plan because he's the only other guy that can create some stuff for us. Yeah, but at this point, it's too late to say, maybe. like, we're going to rely on that guy, yeah, right? Maybe. So, I, it. Again, it takes nothing away from them. It has impressed me what they've done and how consistent they've been. But realistically, like you're not winning a 60-possession game grinding out Correct. a team in the tournament like you did SMU. So I would like to see... Uh, like, I, If it goes any farther with Jaron Cumberland in this sort of offensive slump or teams being able to take him away, it would start to be like... Oh, he didn't use all that up early, too early, did right. he? Like, is he getting a cold spell now here at the end of the season? Because that would be kind of a disaster for as well as they've played and as well as he's played and they all got, season long. They got three high level games to end. I mean, even though one, you know, Memphis is at home and Houston's at home, but then they also got to go to UCF, sandwiched around it. That that's a pretty difficult stretch to end. And and I think we'll see in those three games if maybe this is just a a little bit of an aberration, or if this is a guy who is getting worn down that's getting all the focus defensively and no one else. It, look, it, it's always a coach. You, you feel like you you may it maybe. When you have a game like that, like what, what what else could we do to get points? Well, sometimes it's more simple when you just look back and go, honestly, if we just made some shots, it'll, we'd have looked a whole lot better, and that score would have been a whole lot different. I mean, twenty six percent, holy cow! You should you have no business being in a game, man. That's true. None. That's true. I mean, their defense just keeps them in right. there. I mean, the way they fight, it's it really is impressive. Their their effort and the job McCronin has done this year is. But they don't. They just. Much. They just. He is such a such a weapon that there just isn't a secondary option consistently. Nope. Uh, let's get into some of those weekend games. Take a look at the lines from Ken Palm. Obviously, the betting line's not out yet. I want it remembered. I picked Xavier straight up last week. You nailed it. You had the Xavier Villanova. You're on a heater right now. I didn't do so good on the NKU pick, though. No, none of us did. No, none of us did. Go ahead. Saturday at 1 p.m. NKU will try to redeem themselves. They're at Green Bay. They are favored by four points in that game. The total is 156. I'll go. I'm going to go. You're going to hate me if I'm going Green Bay and and the under. Barely under. I'll go. Green Bay wins or covers? I'm, I'm going to go Green Bay winning it. I'm going to go Green Bay 74-72. Okay, so you think NKU has real problems. I do. Now, we're doing this podcast on a day that they're getting ready to play at Milwaukee. Milwaukee's not a very good team. I do think they find a way to win that game. Again, we're doing this on the morning of that, so... Um, you can you can stab me in the eye if it's when it's over and maybe they don't win that game. I I, I just do. I mean, the, this isn't a two game stretch or a three game. We're talking about a seven game stretch where they just haven't really played very well. Yeah, Milwaukee concerns me or concerns me more because they play that slow down, grind you out yeah. style that gives NKU trouble. Whereas Green Bay is going to try to run, and I don't think that's how bad Horizon League teams beat NKU. That's fair. So I think it's more their style. I've got NKU winning against Green Bay um, on the road, 84-70. They cover the four points Ooh. easily, but it's also under. Um, what I, makes you think that? Just because of style of play? style of play. Okay. Like, you don't run, you don't try to outrun right. this NKU team with lesser talent. Um, I, now, granted, they haven't been all that sharp on offense, but I think that has happened against teams like Wright State or like a team that plays in that style that Milwaukee's going to play, which is slow it down, take you out of what you want to do, kind of lull you to sleep. 
this NKU team team seems susceptible to being lulled to uh, sleep and kind of getting lazy and and not keeping that pace and sharpness. Yeah, I, I think it's a big weekend for them, the Thursday Saturday circumstance to get yourself right because then you got the home game, first round game of the of the Horizon League tournament. You know, you can you still have a chance to to, to win the league title too. I mean, there's a lot of things still at stake. So but, um, we'll see what they're made of. I just I just don't feel good about them right now. I, just I mean, yeah, if they, if they don't finish strong in these last two games, you're you can't feel good. Right. Even hosting a game Even going in the tournament, game. I mean, right. you don't feel good. So um, definitely a huge weekend for NKU, and hopefully there will be good news to report next week when we come back. Saturday, 2 p.m., UK at Tennessee, a big one. Uh, last time these two teams hooked up, UK smacked them around. It didn't end up being the game we expected. This time it's at Tennessee, and the Wildcats are three-point underdogs. 145 is the total. What do you say, Skinny? I think Kentucky covers it, but I'm going to go Tennessee on a buzzer beater, 72-71. Wow. I, what do you – why? I mean, you just think – Tennessee has not been playing very well at all. No, since that and what do you think from the turnaround? You think they just got a lot to prove after that? I think that – I think – I think Rick Barnes will show how much they got bullied, and I guarantee you there's going to be a little pushing and shoving early in that game where Tennessee is going to look at them and say, we ain't backing down today. On, on our home floor, we ain't backing down today. Um, you know, the, the whole Reed Travis situation too. So I, I'm, I, I, Do we know I, yeah, what I don't, his it, status is? I, I bet you he tries to go. I'll bet you he you would tries think. to go. But trying to go and being able to be the bully that you are on two good legs is another thing. And now I just I think Tennessee got punked. They're going to they, they know they got punked. They're going to use that fact that it just it's it's a it's a perfect storm for Tennessee. There's a lot on the line. You get them in your building. I'll I'll go Tennessee in a nail biter. I think Reed Travis does make a big difference in this game. Now, EJ Montgomery played pretty yeah. well in that first game that he wasn't available, and then Nick Richards pretty, played pretty darn well in the second game that he wasn't available. So you've gotten kind of up and down performances from your two big men, but they've done enough to go along with PJ Washington. And, I, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not basing this off the Arkansas performance. It, it, you just you get one of those every once in a while. Yeah, and I thought they actually showed a lot to come back. Tyler Harrow was great. Down 15 in the second half. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I thought some of that was now, actually Arkansas's not very good, encouraging. No, Arkansas is pretty bad. Yeah, but still, I'm not. I'm not basing this off. I'm just basing it off of. Off of that last game and what Rick Barnes and those, and I think those players are pretty prideful. They're upperclassmen. You know what? You don't get a lot of lot of chances like this, especially to redeem yourself. I, I think it's a tough spot for Kentucky, is what I think. It is, especially at Tennessee. Again, I think Reed Travis is big because Tennessee's style is kind of to be the bigger, tougher, Correct. punk you type of team. Correct. And when Reed Travis was there, they had no, no chance, chance of doing it against None. UK None. and PJ Washington and Reed Travis. Now, does that change big time? Now, you're still going to have P.J., obviously. And and U.K.'s guards were a big part of that game, yeah. too. They really yeah. got after Tennessee's yep. guards and kind of set the tone, I thought. But you're still going to have P.J., but if you don't have Reed Travis in there, does that just change the confidence and the mindset of Tennessee's guys a little bit, too, knowing I they're going against Absolutely. E.J. and Nick Richards? That could be a big difference. That being said... I just I do not think the matchups work out well for Tennessee in this game at all. I think we saw that in the first game, um, and, and granted that one got away from them. It is what it is. This is going to be a totally different game at their place. I still think the matchups are not going to work out well for them, even if they have the first half lead. I like Kentucky to come back on them in the second half and win this one, seventy six seventy. I'm going UK wins and the over. If UK wins this game, they're number one in this, the country. That. And does it solidify the one seed no matter what they would do in yes. the SEC tournament? Yes, I think so solidify the one seed yeah. without a doubt. A one seed, not the one, but A1 yeah, A one seed, not yeah. the top overall. Right. No, no, I don't yeah. think a, they'll get that. A one seed, yes. Um, but yes, they they will definitely be a one seed if they win this game. I, I don't so think too. there's even an argument because all the other teams have had slip ups too, except right, so, for Virginia. So then it comes down to if they lose this game, 
do they have to then do something in the SEC tournament? Or if we come up to kind of a winner-take-all shootout in the SEC tournament between Tennessee and Kentucky for, for a one seed? It, it might come down to that. that. That might be it. I think that's probably the most likely scenario. And again, it'll kind of depend on, like, how does Duke finish this thing up? Right. I don't think Duke is going to fall out of a one seed. I don't, I, don't, I don't either I mean, because I think you can fall back on Zion, not Zion, right? Right, and he'll be back. Yeah. But um, I don't know. It's it's interesting when you start looking at those one seeds. I think Virginia is definitely going to be a one seed too. no matter what. I think UK is – it's it's them or Tennessee if UK loses this game. If UK wins this game, it's definitely them. I think them. it is too. Um, and – yeah, I think I think Duke is definitely probably uh, going to be in unless they like lose out, which I don't think is going Gonzaga's, to happen. Gonzaga's I think Gonzaga is going right, to get a one right. seed. So the one seeds will probably be set. I don't know what order they will Correct. fall Agreed. in though when you start looking at Agreed. that. All right, Saturday at eight p.m. You've got Memphis at Cincinnati. The Bearcats are ten point favorites. One forty four is the total in that one. Skinny, what do you got? I'll go UC seventy four sixty seven. So I'll take Memphis to cover it. And for it to stay, is that barely under 141? 144 is. Yeah, so so barely under. 74-67 Bearcats. All right. um, I'm going 70-65. UC wins, but Memphis covers. I got the cover, too. And and the under. I think it it stays under. Um, I... I think you see the, the way they've been playing it like it makes it tempting because Memphis is tough and and uh the Martin kid has been yeah, scoring right. like crazy but 30 plus yeah but at home this UC team just I don't see them Agreed. losing Agreed. I, I, I mean either. away it would have been a different story but at home I just don't see it happening so I I got to roll with the Bearcats yeah. in this one, even if Memphis is able to keep it close. Because I think that I, I do think Memphis will give the, if the number is ten. That's a, that's a lot for a UC team that's not doing a lot offensively. And again, that that will this be four games that Jaron Cumberland's held to you know twelve points or less? I don't think it will be because I just don't think Penny will throw everything at a guy. I just don't think that, that that's going to happen. But um, I I just can't take UC laying a double digit number right now, even even at home. I do think they win the game. I agree. All right, and then you got Xavier playing kind of a weird schedule again. We're recording this on Thursday morning. They play Thursday night, so uh, the next game isn't this weekend. It's actually next Tuesday, but it right. it is kind of a big little stretch here for Xavier. I mean, if you're still holding out hope that they could potentially play their way into I the still bubble think conversation, they have a, a which, fighting chance, which it's not totally out of the realm of possibility. I guess uh, the Musketeers will play at Butler on Tuesday at six p.m. They are six point underdogs in that game 138 is the total uh, obviously we don't have the benefit of knowing what happens in this this game tonight <laughs> at st john's which will be a big factor because if they win that st john's game i think the role continues well yeah then it's like a huge game at butler right. or at least it feels that way to them um if they lose it uh, you still you still have a lot to play for because butler is going to be a quadrant one win i yes. think you can split the games at st john's and at butler and still have a fighting agreed. chance maybe agreed because then the st other st john's game is at home right um, so uh, this, this, they'll still have something to play for. What do you think? I, I, I do wish I knew what they did on Thursday night before I, I make the prediction. Cause I think, I think if they do win Thursday night, I think the role continues into Tuesday. I think this team suddenly starts to really feel confident. That said, I don't think a loss would, would make you say, oh, okay, that the run was nice. It's over. They're not going to go to Butler and win. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going no matter what. If Xavier beat wins on Thursday night, I, I will absolutely think they, they go to Butler and win. If they, if not, I still think Xavier wins. I'm going to go Xavier. 
Okay, I I think Butler has been fading here uh, down the stretch. They were really kind of in um, on the end of the bubble. Uh, and the funny part was they were they, the last bracket matrix on Sunday that I looked. I haven't I actually haven't looked as the weeks progress, but on Sunday had them as the second team out. I yeah, mean, that, that tells you how close they are. They were they were on the inside of the bubble, and now they're really I, I think kind of definitely on the outside looking in yeah. at this point, and really it looks hard for them to. To make it as well, unless they start winning some games here, um, and Xavier's not going. Xavier at home for them doesn't really do that much. You know what I mean? Like Xavier doesn't give them that big win because Xavier at home is a quadrant three game. I right. think at this point with Xavier being ranked around eighty or so. So, um, I I think the matchups work out well for Xavier. You saw that in the first game against Butler at home. Um, I think they really do match up well with that Butler team, and Xavier wasn't even really playing right, well right. when they played that first time around. So if if we get the same Xavier that we've seen over the last two weeks, I don't think there's any doubt that they go into Hinkle and win this one, especially if they still feel like they have a lot to play for. What does the Elias Harden situation, though, do? It, um, it hurts them from the standpoint of, he was he was giving them some energy, and I think like his teammates enjoyed seeing him right. play well. Like the, like the energy was coming from they were pretty excited for him to finally break through there and and get twenty six minutes in that Villanova game and hit a couple big shots. And, and they're thin as it is, and they're very thin. Um, him giving them more defense because he's been better recently than like Kyle Castlin and certainly better than Ryan Wellage right. on the defensive end. That helped. That being said, he hurt himself with this suspension way more than he hurt the team. Because oh, I mean, even if he even if he gets to the end of this year and he decides he wants to transfer and right, he right. doesn't feel like he's got right. a future at Xavier, this was an opportunity for him to showcase himself these for final few else. weeks sure. and show some other coaches that he can be a big help. Um, you know, who knows what happens? They've only announced that he's out for the St. John's game, right. so maybe he's back, but I don't think that's likely. That's not usually how these types of suspensions work. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean it. It's it. It kind of stinks for everyone. It's just a damper when you finally had some positivity right. to look the light at as a went program. On and you turn the corner, all those things, and he was a part of it, and now suddenly he's not a part of it. Yeah, and now, granted, when you think about like um, against St. John's, for instance, they're probably going to play a lot of zone in both those games against St. John's, and so Elias ne- isn't necessarily as important in that. You can you can play with a Kyle Castlin or or maybe even a Ryan Wellich who right. gives you more offensively um, easier in that situation. And then against Butler, when you played against Butler the first time, Elias Harden wasn't really in your plans so you've already beaten butler and the matchups worked out well for you against butler without him in there so i don't think it kills you in that matchup either but again just kind of the energy that he was bringing you and the fact that guys were kind of rallying around him a little bit i think yeah it takes it takes uh, away a little bit of the fun this team was having and i think their fun and the positivity in the locker room was a big part of this turnaround yeah i do too all right skinny let's take a look at some national headlines and First, we start off with the 77-year-old owner of the Patriots, Robert Kraft, who was was having a great month, won a Super Bowl, and uh, now he has been charged with solicitating. Soliciting. Soliciting. Yeah, I kind of like you just combine the two I like words. It. It's pretty good. Soliciting a prostitute in Florida as part of a crackdown on sex trafficking. Hidden surveillance cameras at the Orchids of Asia Day Spa in Jupiter, Florida, recorded craft engaging in a sex oh, act with a one prostitute. I've been to the different I, that Orchids during, of Asia. That's the one I was going go to go to. Yeah. Be careful. You're going to incriminate yourself. During two alleged visits to the club on Saturday, January 19th, 2019, and Sunday, January 20th, 2019. Now, if that second date sounds familiar, that's because the Patriots visited the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship game on Sunday the 20th, with the game having a 6.40 p.m. Eastern kickoff. The NFL says it will handle the allegation the same way it would handle any issue under its personal conduct policy. So, Skinny, do you think Robert Kraft deserves to be punished by the league for going in... uh, 
Yes. Getting a little something. Yeah. The day of the AFC off, what are you doing, old man? What are you doing? Come on. What are you doing? If you're going to – look, if you if you need if you need some outside loving, old guy, you've got enough money to make this extremely discreet with a little higher level than the Orchids of Asia Day Spa in Jupiter, Florida Strip Mall. Am I right or am I right? No, we have different takes on this. Okay. I will let you finish. All right. Look, I, I'm not going to begrudge my man for going and getting some. I'm just not – but the kind of money you've got, you can make this discreet with a higher level type of, of, of clientele. He's also got a 39-year-old girlfriend. He's 77. He's got a 39-year-old actress girlfriend, too. What else do you need, old-timer? But, yeah, the NFL should absolutely suspend him for whatever period of time it deems necessary. I, I think that's outrageous. Um now there, there is a, like Dude, a serious the, 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 the human trafficking part of this. There's no way you let him skate on this. You just don't. Well, there is when that's tied to a G. He's not. He he should get a year. Oh, oh okay. a year. There there is a serious part of this with the human trafficking yes. being a part of some of these day spas and stuff. Now that is a serious issue and one that's like too complicated for me to sort out or speak intelligently on. So I understand why people say that these these types of places are an issue. However. I don't think most normal people or Robert Kraft know about human trafficking rates yeah, and how think, that yeah, works. I, like, I didn't still, know that's tied how to it, and you have to, you can't as the league you can't you can't not punish this see, to, I, to a high level. See, you just can't. I, I, I well, first of all, I don't think the league should have a personal conduct policy, but they do. I, I but think they do. They do, but I think the the league should be in the business of PR is your personal conduct policy. If a team wants to take a chance on these bad guys that we've seen, which they will, but continue is, to do so, even with is, your personal conduct policy. Team. Right. No, no, no. I, I agree. But like with the players and every and coaches and stuff, like they've made all these decisions. I don't think they should be in the business of doing that. If they want if teams want to give somebody a job, they should be allowed to do that. Now he's the owner. This one is a little bit different, but I don't look, I think you can make the argument that Robert Kraft was actually being a sweet guy. Because what? He's a widower. Maybe he's just maybe he's just not into getting intimate with other women. Like maybe his girlfriend and him are just platonic. Maybe this is just him. He has a little stress because it's AFC Championship. He's trying to blow off a little steam as all of us would like to. And when you make that much money, you do nothing by yourself. So it's not like you're just, you know, going to go up and grab a Playboy. So he heads off to the Orchid Day Spa and tries to be a good guy about it and not go outside his relationship or uh, cheat on his ex-wife. You can do a little bit better than the Orchids of Asia Day Spa. I, I don't expect see, better. What, like, no prostitution is legal here. So where where do you think you should be going? Get yourself a, a, a more discreet, higher level clientele is what I'm saying. Now that might you can afford that. That's probably a good point. But does that take like human trafficking out of it? I don't know about that. See, I would be more I, concerned about I, that. I think it probably does. I think I think the higher level has made a personal choice of what they're doing. I think I these poor women are. I not don't making know it. that you ever decide on prostitution mm. as a way be, like because things were going really well maybe not like but. i don't know that you ever got to the point of like you know what life's going so well i'm just gonna start having sex for money 10 grand I, a pop no i'm not saying they don't get there and decide it's a, a good living i i like i get that point of it but i i imagine like everyone kind of goes into that it's all kind of seedy. Like, I don't think you no, ever no. want to end up in that situation. So I think there's always kind of like you there's if you're willing to say you're good with that stuff, there's 
You have to be. You can't judge one and not the other. I think for moral judgment, I don't think you can be like the orchids of the day spot is bad is, unless he can be more discreet than that. Yeah, yeah, he could have. That's what I'm saying. Come on, old he man, could've. be more discreet. You got the money to be discreet. Be more discreet. I guess, I mean, I guess that's a fair point, but maybe he just really like the service. How did he even find the orchids of Asia day spa in the strip mall? Did he drive? Because I know he's down there. Obviously, you just drive by and go. You know what? I wonder. If, wonder what that's all about. Look, when you're when you get a certain level of money and you're in like your network, like a guy like Robert Kraft is, you don't you don't need to find the stuff on your own. You don't go like out to find clientele. People just tell you like, hey, this is the spot you go to. So I'm sure someone gave him a tip of like, yeah. This is the spot, Bob. Hey, it's Fred Orchids of Asia Day Spa. One o'clock. Meet you there. Yeah, it's kind is that of how that worked. It's kind of like if there's a really good burger restaurant in a strip mall that's like surprising. You tell your buddy about it. You're like skinny. You got, yes. It doesn't look the part, but I'm telling you, maybe that's what it was. They've got the best mushroom in Swiss. Great burger place right next to it. He went. I'm just gonna peek my head in here for a second. Hey, yeah, I, you know, ladies, no, I, you missed my point. I don't think he got the recommendation on a burger joint. I uh, think someone gave him a recommendation on the oral. Oh man, oh man. What are you? I'll just go back. What are you doing, old man? What are you doing? Skinny, the relationship between LeBron James, <laughs> the relationship between LeBron James and Lakers appears to be a disaster right now. From the outside looking in, the Lakers are twenty-three and twenty with LeBron in the lineup. He tried a power play to force an Anthony Davis trade that didn't work. It didn't work so good. He's consistently been calling out his teammates. Earlier this week, there were reels put together from the Lakers-Grizzly game showing an embarrassing lack of effort by James on the defensive end. He's been seen sitting by himself at the end of the bench away from his teammates. And most recently, he refused to join the team's huddle, choosing instead to stand a few feet outside the circle with his back to his teammates and coach doing nothing in particular during a timeout. Do you think it's time to call LeBron to the Lakers a failed experiment, or is it too early still? It's it's too early because I, for whatever reason, it felt like that initially in Miami. Not not to this degree, not to this degree, but it felt like oh, your little diva move ain't gonna work here, slick, and it eventually did. And then the whole diva move coming back to Cleveland, Cleveland definitely felt like it wasn't gonna work there. Wasn't gonna work there at all because Matthew Dellavedova was your second best player in the playoffs, and that just wasn't gonna happen. And yet it ended up working out well. It'll eventually work because he will he will bully his way into making it work. I, I really believe that. But right now it is not a good look for him at all. It really this this is the worst look of all three to me. The one in Cleveland. Look, you realize he just didn't have dudes around him until they finally got the dudes around him. In Miami, he had the dudes around him, and it wasn't working initially, and finally did. It, it'll work. I, it'll, it'll, it'll work. I'm just telling you, it'll work. Unfortunately, we're to the point with LeBron where even if you're a huge LeBron fan, you even if you're a huge LeBron apologist, right. well, you've got, he's done things that are you can't defend anymore. Correct. Right? Like the, the whole lack of effort on just stop playing defense, I get it. He's played more minutes than any human who's ever played this game in this short time span of his career. Um, since the time he got into the league until now, it's been nonstop. He's never injured. He plays in all the All-Star games, in I mean, what, all the this Olympics is, games. This is what, 16th season? In all the... Is, am I right on that? 15th season? 16th season? I think 16th. He's playing all wow. the post-seasons. Like, I mean, he makes a run of the finals every year, so he's played tons that's, of minutes. Yeah, that's a lot. I understand, like, he does not need to be playing but if, but if you're, but hard if, but if, but if you're doing that second. out of spite, that's another thing. That's the point. He's making he's making a scene out of yeah. this. And the stuff of, like, standing outside the huddle on purpose, he's making a scene. And, like, it's to the point where... It affects your legacy. Now, does it change that you're maybe the greatest player ever, at least in the conversation of one right. of the greatest three or four guys ever? No. I mean, he absolutely still is. They've all had issues. Michael Jordan was a jerk, no and question. everybody knew it. He has tons of character flaws. But one of the things about LeBron was kind of like that he was always 
a nicer guy and a good teammate, and he didn't have to be Kobe or Michael and be a total jerk, right. and he could be a locker room guy, and we're finding out that's just really not the case. And I do think it's way too early to call it a failed experiment because LeBron loves playing GM at this point. He is not Absolutely. happy until he gets to pick and choose His who guys. he wants, sure. and he got the contract. And I don't even think it means that he got guys that he felt more comfortable with as a player. It just meant he got to do it. He likes the act of playing GM. I don't think he's very good at playing GM at this point. I think he just likes proving to people that me and Rich Paul can make these things happen. That's what the Anthony Davis deal was about. No doubt. Rich Paul was his agent too. They thought they could strong arm the two teams at the right time to where the Lakers were the only team that had an offer to make because the Celtics weren't able to at that Correct. time and some of the other teams that have some pieces weren't able to at that time. So they thought they were going to strong arm themselves into a deal and it didn't work out for either side now. And LeBron is just kind of left looking stupid the rest of this season. That being said, it's for the rest of this season. Yes, Next that, year, it's a totally different ballgame. If the Lakers bring in one more big free agent to go with takes, them, right? and he gets rejuvenated, it, they're right back in business. He's so good. That, that's why I, I think everybody just assumed he was going to go there, and I, I know people talked about this in the preseason. He's going to get him 50 wins, and they're going to definitely be a playoff. Dude, the roster was terrible. It was terrible. Awful. And young. And it still isn't very good. It's awful and young. Right. So you have guys that, like, at least with the Cavaliers teams, they were putting on some veterans to where, like, if things went well, the guys knew what they were doing. Now, even when things go well, guys don't know how to win. Yes. Like, they don't know the game yet. Yes. That, that, that's the whole point. He wasn't going to make them into the two seed in the West overnight by himself, but I yeah. think people thought he was. But and, and this is where I get into his legacy a little bit, though, because he took on that project knowing that. He signed the longer-term deal You're supposedly right. because he knew it was a little bit of a rebuild, and he said he wanted to take on tutoring guys like Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram. He wanted to be a tutor to them. What type of tutoring is this? It's not. It's You're bad. not teaching right. those guys how to be good right. teammates. You're not teaching them how to win. That's the only part where, like, I like LeBron. I've loved watching his entire career, but this stuff is frustrating to watch, and it, it kind of turns you off a bit of, of, as a fan of him because it's like, dude, you, you could so easily be a great leader for those young guys, and I get they're not living up to the, your expectations set for them, but this isn't the way to teach them. It exactly. just makes you look bad. It makes him look terrible. I because agree. in this day and age, everything gets shared so much, and yes. everything gets overplayed so much that every little thing he does gets blown out of proportion, even if it's not a big deal, that you would think... He's so hyper aware of those things, and he's trolling people on Instagram. You know, before he's going in the game, he's saying life is great and, and all caps and stuff. I mean, like he knows what he's doing. So why is he doing this? Yeah, it I, just doesn't make sense to me. I, it's it's kind of I think the one the one big flaw you've seen from LeBron is just that he has been such a celebrity and such a superstar since he was 16 years old that certain things like this, I don't think he really ever gets it and never well, will, and it, I don't think he should be expected it, to it's probably. It's almost the, the, for one of the few times he didn't get his way with the Anthony Davis trade, right? So yep. I didn't get my way. I'm going to act like a big baby about it. And, and that's I think and that's, that's just wrong. Well, and it is wrong, but it also I think is kind of the hazard of being a celebrity getting never told no since the age of 16. You know, just being able to do exactly what you want every year from 16 to 30 probably has that as a consequence a little bit of you act like a baby when things don't no, go th your way. No, this whole thing initially when, when he went there, it, anybody with any sense realized that, that this was going to be at least a two or three year process. It wasn't going to happen in one year. Maybe that's where he's at the stage of his career where he, the, he needs it to be right now. I get that part of it, but yeah, he's acting like a baby. 
Skinny, University of Iowa Director of Athletics Gary Barta announced on Wednesday a two-game suspension of head men's basketball coach Fran McCaffrey for unsportsmanlike comments directed at an official following Iowa's loss at Ohio State. You are a cheating blank blanker. A reporter from the Toledo Blade tweeted that McCaffrey was screaming, you cheating MFer, you're an effing disgrace, obviously he used the real word, Yes. at an official walking down the hallway of Value City Arena. Now this isn't even remotely shocking, by the way, for Fran McCaffrey. Oh, of course it's not. It's well known that he's an absolute The whole lunatic. family! Yeah. Do you agree with head coach Fran McCaffrey receiving a two-game suspension and Iowa receiving a $10,000 fine for him calling a ref a cheating mf and an effing disgrace? Uh, Yes, but here's the thing. The the beauty of this, this came in a 90-70 to loss. This didn't come in a last-second game in which a call or two changed it. It came actually his son who plays for him. He got a technical foul in the game. Like father, like son. Um, like father, like son. He got kicked out of a game back in 2006. You know who else got kicked out of that same game in 2006 when he was coaching at Sienna? The wife. The wife. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Just a great fam. I mean, how about that? You know what's weird? There are uh, There is, like, the people who love Fran McCaffrey will go to, to the, the platform. They no love that guy. It. And then everyone else seems to agree that he's a lunatic. It is just this weird, and I don't think like all of his players like him. I think a lot of his players dislike him, um, and I think it hurts him at recruiting sometimes. I do too. But then there are some people that just absolutely love his style, and maybe it's just a Midwestern people thing. It's kind of like the the you know people like Mick Cronin sometimes the way he acts, and I, mean, I think he's, it's kind he's, of in the same. Not one at a very high level at Iowa. No, I, I, I mean it's actually surprising that he's still there. I think there's Iowa fans that are tired of the antics because he's yes. not winning with them anymore. Yes. Um, Look, just, I, I, he, by, by the way, I think the suspension should be more. Like, do you not, really? knock this off. Got, re, coaches do not need to be chasing refs down the hallway, cussing at them. Because here's the thing. Coaches are going to go into press conferences and talk about their fans. And the fans need to be more civil and supporting the players and not saying things. And they think it's ridiculous when they're getting booed and fans are cussing at them. And they don't want their families to hear that. Well, guess what? It starts with you. Do the same. Act the same way to the yeah. refs. It's the game's over. And it was ninety-two to seventy. You weren't even in the game. You were the problem. The refs had no impact on that game at all. Yeah, it's one thing if you if you call the ref, then but to say you're a cheating. That, the, the word to me there was the cheating. Well, part. no, that, that's the, the bigger problem that, to me is chasing after him after a game. Like it's it's over. It's not in the game where you're questioning a call. Right, it's what, over. You're right. going after a guy out outside what, the game. What about on a, on a last second play where you thought you got hosed? Sorry. Like okay. you, you get All to right. say something in passing. You don't get to go after him down oh, the hallway. Okay, at the I'll arena. Okay, you, okay. That, I'll, I'll give you. He's that chasing him down the hallway. Yeah, that part I'll give you. You don't get to do that. Like right. that's nonsense. And it's like it's way too. Well, it's threatening. It's right? way it's, too it's, premeditated. It's, it's, it's thr- it's You've had a chance to think about it at that point. It's not heat of the moment. It just happened, and you're responding. This is you have now made a conscious decision to keep this going while you're an adult. It's ridiculous yeah. at this point. And and honestly, it's like. Our, our society as a whole, but especially with sports, is just getting way too out of hand with how we handle refs and coaches, and everything always has to be such a like a harsh reaction. It's all the end all be all every single play and every single game. Like, let's just tone it down a little bit. Yeah. And I like like by the way, I like being a lunatic. I like being one of the crazy fans. I like all that stuff. I have a job because there are those types of fans who subscribe to a message board about Xavier basketball. So I'm all in on the crazy fan stuff. But let's just knock off the well, but, acting like we have to be mad all the time at everything. Yeah, and there's also the, there's a decorum there too. I mean, you have yeah. to you follow the decorum. That's Grow up a little bit. Yeah. How about that? Like, yeah. what are you going to do? Fight a ref after a that's bad what, that's call? What, 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 what was going to happen if the ref turned around? Would he have, honestly, would he have thrown a punch? Yeah, quit taking it so personal, dude. Like... Just grow up. Yeah, that's that simple. And, and and he's a repeat offender at this point. Yes. He's done it so many times. At some point, they need to tell him, 
Enough's enough. Well, I think We're not going to tolerate this. But two games isn't enough. That's not that's not going to do anything. You also affect your basket. You have to take it as an athletic director. Also affecting that whole basketball team as a whole too. Well, you would by, think by taking your head coach away for an extent. Two games, I think, is still a lot I for think a team that's in in, in contention because, at the end of the year. But, but hear me out. He's not required to, to to suspend. There's no requirement there. There's nobody making him suspend him for two games. That's his decision to make. The athletic directors. I think that that, it, that feels just to me. That, that feels. That I think feels the just. NCAA should have been handing down a, a suspension here. Yeah, I, I think they did the right thing. Two games to me is fine. I'm, I'm good with that. Fair enough. I would say, though, you're on a very short leash at that point, though. You can't do anything like that even remotely close to that again. But, I mean, like, how can you even be saying you don't you're, you get another chance when he's had chance after chance after chance after chance? Like, this dude, no, he's I, had 17 I, blow-ups over well, his career. Well, I, I would say, just based on, on on his record as a whole at Iowa's overall record, I think it's time to probably move on. Yeah, well, I would agree. It's honestly kind of shocking he still has a job at this point. I'm, I agree with you. That, that part, to me, is, is, is the thing. All right, Rick, another great week in the books. Appreciate it much. We'll be back one week from around this time. Be sure to, to join us. We'll also have our college basketball podcast again coming up Sunday. First thing Monday morning is when it'll be up on the website at local12.com. Make sure you catch Rick's work at musketeerreport.com as well. He broke the Elias Harden news this week, and he always has great stuff on the matchups and the games themselves and recruiting on top of it as well. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the Popery Edition, presented as always by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati.